Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter. So Next Step Sunday uh, is here. This is an annual event. If you came in uh, just after the start of our worship service, I mentioned that uh, at the beginning of the service that this is an annual event where we invite everyone in the church, whether it is your first Sunday here and you think you might stay around, or whether uh, you've been here, uh, as Lynette said, for 25 years, to think about taking a next step in following Jesus. We're trying to add intentionality to discipleship. It is true, I think, in the kinds of communities that we live in here in Northwest Columbus that we place a high value on intentionality. I'm sure at this point, I've said it in some prior sermon over the decades, that the first week that we lived in Dublin, it was impossible for me to find a gas station because the zoning is intentional. I drove around with that little yellow light on in my car looking for a sign that would point me to a gas station, none to be found. We take our zoning intentionally. Uh, We make intentional educational choices for our children. Uh, We build intentionality into our hobbies and our recreations. And I wonder uh, about the intentionality that we build into our discipleship decisions, uh, to the decisions that we will make over the course of a year about growing in our faith. It's interesting, I think. I mean, we're very intentional about important-ish decisions, How intentional are we about the most important decisions? Uh, How we will spend our time growing and learning about Jesus day by day. So disciple has come to be a churchy word, but it simply means someone who follows another person or someone who learns from someone else. Every person here will make an intentional decision about following Jesus and learning from him over the next year. A non-decision is an intentional decision. Every person is going to make an intentional decision. Uh, But for example, and positively, at the ministry fair after the service, if you're interested in Jesus but have questions about him, if you want to learn about Jesus, if you are uh, similar in life uh, to the story that we heard in the video, you're inquiring about Jesus, there are a variety of opportunities to do that. Choose one. You might choose to engage in our new member class, our partnership class. Uh, I teach that and uh, we talk about Jesus and basic Christianity in that class. If you haven't committed to membership, I would encourage you to put that class on your agenda because Jesus is 100% committed to his church. We are here because he is committed to us and to the church across the ages, and he calls us to be reciprocally committed. Discipleship includes committing to his church. We encourage you to find a smaller group to be a part of. It might be one of our formal small groups. You could visit uh, Chris Maybe and John Ryan and Nell Folk and find out about that. It might be a men's or women's group. 
uh, but it's important to find a community to be a part of. Uh, and it might be, I thought about this, that many of you have already made commitments at NPC. And so you might be hearing this a little bit like Charlie Brown's teacher. You remember her? Wah, wah, wah. You're like, I've already made the commitment. Um, think about it this way. Maybe the answer for you is to not do a new thing. Maybe the answer is to do the same thing with a different mindset. Uh, to think about where it is where you will volunteer to serve, but to think about it in an intentional way. How will your area of ministry lead to your formation in Jesus? Maybe Jesus is calling you to stay the course in a current commitment, but with renewed intentionality. That is a good thing to ponder as well. See, this is what makes today at NPC a little bit different than the PTO drive, right? Where the PTO is, you know, driving for memberships. They want you to come and run the cakewalk, which is a great activity. Um, of all the things that I've never won, <laughs> losing the cakewalk was the saddest. Uh, but, you know, but, you know the, the, the PTO wants you to be involved and a volunteer, and that can be good. But we want you to engage in things that are spiritually formative for you to engage in things that are going to make you more like Jesus, whether they are great things or challenging things, uh, whether the ministry thrives or doesn't thrive even. Sometimes it's in the non-thriving of a ministry that spiritual formation happens. And so we want you to be intentional about that. We are on week three of describing NPC's three core values. This is a good annual reset for us. Last week, Patrick talked about mission, what we call uh, loving the city. Pastor Chris talked uh, the week before that about how we seek to keep Jesus and the gospel central in everything that we do. And today I highlight our third core value, which is connecting in community. We value connecting in community uh, with each other for fellowship for accountability, for shepherding, and for outreach. And fellowship can, uh, can be friendship, and that's a good thing. Uh, when we teach the new member class, we uh, remind ourselves that the New Testament word for uh, fellowship uh, doesn't subscribe so much fellowship halls where donuts are eaten. I'm on this, this baked good thing this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was a small breakfast, and I can't <laughs> wait for the lunch. Um, Really, the word probably means more like partnership, mutual investment, mutual side-by-side -side commitment to go forward. That's what fellowship probably means uh, when we see it in Scripture, investing side-by-side -side to advance Jesus' kingdom. It is true that a relational community of friends would go far away to combat loneliness. Did you catch earlier in the year where the Surgeon General of the U.S. described loneliness in the U.S. as a public health crisis? Some of you might experience that. That, that might be your story. So finding ways to connect in community can combat that. But there's an even more substantial reason why connecting in community is a core value. We do want you to build friendships here. We want you to build meaningful relationships here. But discipleship, following Jesus, is essentially, irreducibly, fundamentally, savingly communal. It's impossible to be a Christian and not be connected to community. And this truth is on the surface 
of the New Testament. This is actually why Christians are called Christians, people who are in Christ. Paul talks about it throughout his letters, and Jesus describes it in this passage by being united to him. That being a Christian, being saved, is essentially communal. He describes being connected to him in these verses in John 15 famously. And I'm just going to draw three short applications for us to prime us for our considerations in the next event. First, we are, by the Spirit, when we come to faith, effectively connected to Jesus. Effectively. That that the connection that we have to Jesus is effective for our spiritual good. In the Old Testament, Israel, God's people, were often described as God's vine. Uh, They were planted by God. Uh, They were sometimes described as a vineyard that was nurtured by God. When, over the course of time, they rebelled, God described them as a broken-down vineyard. And in the Psalms, one Psalm, Psalm 80, describes the hope that God would work in a saving way to renew His vineyard. I'll just read it for us. Because these are the kinds of thoughts that are in the background of Jesus' teaching. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, he may well have had in mind, verse 14 of Psalm 80, Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the vine of Israel at that point in time. Have regard for this vine, the stalk that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you have made strong for yourselves. In other words, things had gone wrong for Israel. They were experiencing the discipline of God. They were like a vine broken down, uh, but in prayer they call out to the vine planter, and they pray that he would have regard for them. Like, look at this vine, and Jesus, some hundreds or thousands of years later, comes onto the scene, and he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's building on this concept. He is the true vine in contrast to rebellious Israel. He is the only Israelite who lived a spiritually perfect life, who never rebelled. And as Israel was a God-planted, rebellious, disciplined, and hoping for renewal vine, Jesus is a God-planted through the incarnation, faithful, fruitful vine. He fulfills God's purposes for for Israel to be obedient, and he does this on behalf of us, so that the long-ago prayer of Psalm 80, that God would look upon Israel, the judged vine, and be remembered, is answered in Jesus. So that being spiritually connected to Jesus, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, is how we become God's people. It's an open invitation. It's also an exclusive offer. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And this connection to Jesus the vine is entirely effective for spiritual growth and cleansing. Jesus continues, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes 
that it may bear more fruit. Now, uh, if you're like me and you've read those verses from time to time and they strike you with a bit of alarm and you wonder which kind of branch you might be, Jesus speaks the next verse, hopefully, to those who've placed their faith in him. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. What about this bearing much fruit? On a Sunday where we're going to talk a lot about doing, I want us to think about this because by nature, I, I'm a doer uh, in the, the world of pastors. And again, this is not a right or wrong value judgment. I get to hang out with a lot of pastors and we talk about baked goods and other things. And uh, I have pastor friends who are very contemplative and that's great. I learn a lot from them. Uh, I'm a doer. And so when it comes to Jesus talking about bearing fruit, I start thinking about doing. What are the spiritual activities that I'm going to do? And what are the outcomes that I want to see? And my mind will go in the direction of like this. How many people have I shared the gospel with recently? How many people have become Christians recently? What am I doing to be fruitful? Do you connect with this at all? You're like, Dave, you are super messed up. Um, you need to read John 15. I'm trying. <laughs> I need to remember that fruit is what vines produce organically. Fruit is just what comes from vines. Paul Tripp talks about this a lot in the old Sunday school class we used to do. He says, you know, apple trees don't wake up and decide one day that they're going to produce apples. And then they concentrate really hard. and They think apples, 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 apples. It's like it, apples, the apples just happen. The, the grapes on the vine just happen. If Jesus is the, now not passively we're going to see, but if Jesus is the vine, fruit of the life of Jesus is being produced in me. Yes, it includes action. Jesus the vine himself was an announcer of good news. Jesus actively served the least and the lost. So it includes action. It also is about living Jesus obeyed God's word. It's about spirit-informed character being produced. It's about love for God and love for friends and love for enemies. Don Carson, whose uh, John commentary really set the tone for uh, an earlier generation, put it this way. The fruit of the vine is everything which is the product of prayer in Jesus' name obedience of Jesus' commands, experiencing Jesus' joy, love for Jesus' disciples, witnessing to the world. Fruit is all-encompassing. Embracing every area of life. Fruitfulness should be considered comprehensively. When you go out to the ministry fair, and you think about where, where might I discern that the Spirit is leading me to be fruitful. It might well include some activities. It might well include some Christian character growth. And there are so many ways that I'm not like Jesus. Which is why it's really wonderful that Jesus assures these disciples that they're already clean. That being connected to him will be productive. That's the hopeful bit of the organic part. 
that, that if you are abiding in him, you will be fruitful. He will produce in you the fruit which he intends to produce. So the first basic question is, are you connected to the vine? Are you connected? Have you believed in Jesus? Are you a branch properly in the vine? Another question for those of us who are type A are, are you, are you free? Are you free to let Jesus the vine produce the fruit that he is producing in you? Perhaps the question about fruitfulness goes more to these soft side things, character. More on that in a, in a minute as we move along. But if you are effectively connected to Jesus the vine, he is producing the fruit. He will produce in you uh, the fruit that he intends. Productively connected, secondly. Picking up in verse 4. Abide in me. Now, uh, abide here, if you've heard sermons on this in the past, abide is a command. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Abiding, remaining in Christ is imperative for fruitfulness. Life from him is essential for spiritual productivity. Abiding in Christ will result in fruitfulness. And the fruitfulness is evidence of God's continuing work in them. Um, another commentator helpfully put it this way, always the true disciple is becoming more fully a disciple. Let me say that again. Always the true disciple is becoming more fully a disciple. I think this is important because we can tend to make binary assessments, yes and no assessments about our discipleship. What's being described here is on a continuum, right? That, that, it, that you are growing and becoming. And I think that this underscores the integrity of the Christian life. Every Christian would honestly assess ourselves and say, I am not a finished product yet. There is more sin to fight. There is more sin to repent of. There's more character to be produced. That, that the end product won't be determined until glory. That Jesus is maturing his disciples at the rate of one per lifetime. So there is an integrity of being in process. We take Jesus' words already clean, and he is building us over time. Integrity, but also intentionality. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Jesus is describing an intentional spiritual dynamic that is really, really important for each of us to grasp. That the spiritual dynamic that supports remaining fruitfully connected to Christ is word 
and prayer. Word and prayer. Children growing up in the Presbyterian tradition across generations, as they learn the catechism, and when they are asked, what are the means that God makes effective for our spiritual growth? What are the means of grace? Would answer that the means of grace are the word, the sacraments, and prayer. Word and prayer. Now, where would we get that idea from? Well, we get it in one place from Jesus here. That Christ's word abides in the disciples and the disciples pray. Jesus speaks and then we speak. God speaks, we speak. The word speaks and then we speak. In the immediate audience, the, the apostles heard Jesus' words directly. God the Holy Spirit inspired them to record the word so that we have it, but the intentional dynamic has not changed. He speaks, we listen, then we speak. And if you're worried right now about the prayer part getting into some funny business where it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, uh, and, and you're wondering about how this relates to your next car, then what you need to see is that it is Jesus' words which constrain what we ask for. It's us asking for what is agreeable to his will. And what is agreeable to his will, where would we find that? In his word. So his word is going to constrain what we ask for. So there are all kinds of ways as you go out there uh, to the ministry fair that we can help connect in community. We will occasionally have some fun events. I try to overrule them, but, but people say, no, we should have some fun events. Someone said we should do the chili cook-off again. And I'm like, I'm not signing up for that kind of pain this year, but um, the pain of losing. Uh, but we might have some fun events. You might join a small group that goes to a ball game or an event or something like that. Student ministry, campus ministry will have retreats. These are more than gimmicks. They're good, they're good strategies. But like any strategy, they aren't the end. They are the means. The end is that we will be a community abiding in Christ. Word and prayer are essential to how that happens. So whatever else you put into your discipleship plan for next year, word and prayer, word and prayer. This is essential for how we connect in community. It's how Christ communicates to us the benefits of his saving work, the word and the sacrament and prayer. Sometimes people will ask me, you know, what is your... What's like your, your meta strategy? It's a meta question. I'm like, I'm so glad you asked. I will tell you my meta strategy. I'll tell you my meta strategy. <laughs> but don't tell anybody. Except this is on the internet. Word, sacrament, and prayer. The means of grace. Everything else... Like if you, if you couldn't do anything else, but you could do the ministry of the word and the ministry of sacrament and the ministry of prayer, you would grow as a Christian. You would abide in the vine. The other things are really good. 
The strategies are really helpful. We are blessed to have a lobby full of opportunities. We should not take that for granted. But around the world where the church meets in secret places, where they can't have Next Step Sunday, where people don't bring them chicken fingers, word, sacrament, and prayer. That's the meta strategy. We, we didn't invent it. Jesus gave it to us. And so we are connected productively to the vine, and, and finally we're connected joyfully. The community that the believer connects to is a community of love that produces joy. And this is not sentimental. This is Trinitarian. The community that we connect to starts with the community of heaven. I want you to think about this. The Surgeon General says that we're lonely. He's probably right. I don't need him to tell me that. I mean, you should call me on Monday afternoon. I could tell you that. Um, But the community that is available to Christians is more than just friendship. It's community, or to use the church word communion, with the living triune God. Jesus in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. There is this cascading love relationship. From eternity past, the Father was loving the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then at the right moment of time, the Son who's loved by the Father comes into the world to demonstrate once and for all and finally the extent of the Trinity's love for His people. Uh, Mike Reeves is a, a very helpful writer on things Trinitarian. He puts it this way. There's a very definite shape to the relationship between Father and Son. Overall, the Father is the lover and the Son is the beloved. And therein lies the very goodness of the gospel. As the Father is the lover and the Son is the beloved, so Christ becomes the lover and the church the beloved. That means that Christ loves the church first and foremost. His love is not a response given only when the church loves him, which, by the way, is very good news. (laughs) Given only when the church loves him, his love comes first. And we only love him because he loved us first. And, uh, I mean, this might be your first Sunday ever thinking about Jesus. And you might be wondering, what exactly is on offer at church besides the food? Well, what is on offer at the church is an invitation to come and to know the Son, to abide in the vine, and be brought into a love relationship that has always existed, that you cannot walk backwards in time and find a moment when the love for the Father and the Son did not exist. And you would be brought into that kind of relationship that is without beginning and is also without end. And so in this way, it transcends the, the, the greatest of human relationships. It transcends the finest and most life-giving of human relationships, doesn't it? I mean, you, you might be here this morning and loneliness might be part of your story for which I, I, am, I am compassionate and empathetic. But I also want to tell you that, that there is good news for you, that you can be brought into a relationship of, of uh, amazing love 
I, I was thinking back. I didn't tell Kim I was going to run this fire. It's okay. We'll sort it out later. <laughs> Who can? <laughs> I, I was thinking uh, about how we used to write love letters to each other. And some of you who are younger won't know what that means, which is really sad. Uh, it's like TikTok, but on paper. <laughs> and you write it in Cleveland, and it gets to Detroit three days later. And what you hope for is that the person in Detroit that you're writing to, one, gets to the mailbox before their sisters, <laughs> but that has also written the letter back to you in the intervening time so that you don't have to wait six days to get a reply. And what you do is, I mean, because you'll only see this in movies, and so I'm explaining to you what's going to be happening in the movie that you won't understand is you, is you get the letter and you go and you read it. And it, it like, it, it touches your soul. You're like, this, this person loves me and I love this person. And it will say things in this letter like, I, I love you forever. And you, you hope that it's true. And you believe that it's true. And that's just a person. We actually don't have any of those letters anymore, Annika. They were lost in a flood, so you can't find them. <laughs> Praise God. But sometimes forever love between people doesn't work out. And it's always tested. And there's always hard moments. But, but forever love between the vine and its branches always works out. I've loved you for forever. I will never stop loving you. This is how you're joyfully connected. This stimulates intellectual, spiritual joy. And so we want to respond to our lover as his beloved. What does abiding in Jesus' love look like? Jesus would say in verse 10, I'm glad you asked. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, Jesus is not saying that our salvation depends on keeping the commandments. Jesus is saying that our obedient response is how we love back. That, that we hear the word and we love back and that Christian love has form. Christian love has spine. It's not mere sentimentality. It's shaped by obedience. It's shaped by hearing his word and doing it. Whatever his word says, whether it is on the missional going doing part or whether it is on the character formation part. It's interestingly, you know, I did just have us read ahead just a, a one verse into verse 12 where Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, how exactly has Jesus loved the church? He has loved the church in the most self-sacrificial of ways. And he is saying, this is how you go and how you build a connected community, that you love one another, that you love the community that you connect to. So we connect into a community in which to learn what to do 
why to do it. Constantly keeping Christ and the gospel and his achievements central to motivate our obedience. We connect as a community to obey and we celebrate obedience. And we connect as a community in which to repent and we celebrate repentance. It's interesting. We haven't talked much about the pruning part of the passage other than to say Jesus says that the, the pruning that happens, the shaping of disciples, all that might come towards us in, uh, in life that provokes pruning, whether uh, it is repenting of a sin or whether it is enduring a challenge or whatever else it might be, that this is a good thing, that that pruning is good. So we celebrate repentance. Pruning is a celebratable reality. You, if, if you're a Christian, you're irreducibly connected to a community. It, it, it is a reality that cannot be changed. The question is, how will you live that out? How will you put that into action? What will you do in the next nine months to grow as a branch in the vine. That's what's before you. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. And for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.